What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Schramm, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's coolest people, influential leaders, founders, CEOs, maybe even Satoshi himself or herself, to find out how this movement truly came to be. And as time goes on, this whole industry and ecosystem is getting more and more complicated. But what I'm learning is if we can take each topic and unpack it and understand it, just like in that show about uh, the movie or the show about uh, the Queen's Gambit, about connecting pieces together in chess and then being able to take that information and trade off of that or just impress your friends and family or understand that this could be the future. And we really, really, well, then I'm doing my job and this is the best show. So today I had uh, a very, very cool cat on, on the show. His name is Peng Chong and he is the CEO of Tendermint and the Cosmos blockchain. Tendermint is actually the R&D lab for the Cosmos blockchain and a lot of other crazy projects. And we talked to him today uh, on the day they actually launched one of the most coveted and talked about products that the crypto industry has long wanted. The ability for all blockchains to communicate with each other without needing a centralized bridge. If you can move assets and information high value, low value, or just data from one blockchain to another without needing a centralized authority or clearinghouse, we really can move forward that like to, to a world where we have millions and millions of blockchains that all do amazing, amazing things. And towards the end of the show, he actually brought it all together and explained it so perfectly. It was very inspiring. Uh, made me want to cry. Um, you guys will love this show. I sure did. I'm Charlie Shrem, and enjoy. Here we go. We are live, and I'm so excited to be here today. How's everything going today? Things are incredibly busy. Uh, we have a lot of stuff happening in Cosmos Land today, and I was helping a couple of our designers last night get the, the new website launched, and they were up all night, and I think they're just sleeping right now. <laughs> so they're getting so, some much rest. So now we have time to do a little bit of a live stream. It's a big day today. You guys, you know, the, uh, we were just chatting before and the, the Tendermint Cosmos and the Bitcoin kind of like OG community is very tight. There's a lot of overlap. And, and so like it's very different than some of these uh, newer projects that are, that are coming out because um, going back from the, from the early days of Bitcoin and, and then the, the, the first iterations of like building out blockchain adoption, um, that was first conceptualized by like the Tendermint team, by, by Jay and by yourself going back from very, very early on. And that's how I got uh, introduced, introduced to you guys. But the, one of the reasons why everyone has always been so excited is because it's in your ethos. It's in your uh, design to, to, to build out and have interoperability between all other blockchains all working together. And to like announce that and to launch that, that kind of follows my personal ethos of being like a, a, a software purist and in love with Bitcoin, but also being a capitalist and wanting to go out and to, and to change the world and to grow. And you have to throw a lot of things at the wall to see what sticks. And before we kind of get into it, I just want to thank you personally, because you guys have sponsored Untold Stories and, and also enabled me to, to continue that vision and future of, of, of uh, you know, evangelizing Bitcoin and crypto to the world and just bringing on more people into our whole ecosystem and you guys enable me to do that. So thank you. And thanks for going live today. Um, 
Listen, it's what IBC is, and and I'm gonna stop talking and let you guys take and let you take over. What why the you know very simply, a lot of people are watching like what what is this? Why is this so important? Very simply, you guys have developed and launched the standard in a decentralized way for all blockchains to communicate with each other, to swap between each other, and to do all types of different things that you can do on all these different blockchains, but 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 communicating with each other. Uh, how amazing is that? Uh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> and it's not just um, building the software, but also you know, building consensus, right? So we, we have here today the, the sort of the first mainnet launch of IBC. Right, IBC is a, it's a permissionless protocol, and it's a, sort of similar to TCP/IP in that you know anyone can read the stack, anyone can implement it in their blockchain of choice. So a lot of our work, you know, now that we have it running on one chain, is going to be convincing other chains to adopt IBC. Tell me about like the history of Tenderman and Cosmos, just very briefly, uh, explaining like how. The, the, the R&D lab is Tenderman and how you guys, and I want to understand like there's so much uh, overlap in, in not just this, but all of crypto about like uh, uh, space and the universe and, and uh, that whole aspect of the world. Um, and, then, and then really like how do you build consensus? Because as far as I understand, uh, every project, every company, every blockchain that operates uh, in the Cosmos ecosystem kind of acts on their own, but then consensus has to be built. It sounds very complicated. And how is this different from more of a like linear smart contract blockchain like Ethereum? How is how is that different for those who don't understand? Yeah, so I'll dive into the history real quick. Um, the idea of Tendermint um, became a company in 2014, Tendermint Inc. Um, and it was started by Jay Kwan and Ethan Buckman at a time when you know everyone's really focused around Bitcoin and you know some early traction was, was growing in Bitcoin land. But at the same time, you know, people recognize that in the long run, right, Bitcoin's gonna take up more and more energy costs. Um, and not everything needs to run with, with the coin model, right? Um, I love Bitcoin, I have Bitcoin. Um, but at the same time, not every blockchain needs to be Bitcoin. So we were thinking, you know, what's a, what's a way to get a lot more people building blockchains to solve real world problems um, without incurring, you know, the sort of high cost of Bitcoin. So as part of Tendermint was the idea of um, proof of stake. It was one of the first um, earliest implementations of proof of stake. And that became, you know, the Tendermint Core software. And Tendermint Core is in some ways sort of similar to BitTorrent, right? It's just a way for, for computers around the world to get consensus on one application. Um, Dragging, you know, the, the, the bit, BitTorrent analogy, actually, is uh, BitTorrent allows you to, you know, you sync up on, on one particular file and make sure that you have, you know, you're using that file uh, correctly and you're, you're uploading and seeding it to everyone else, you know. Um, similarly with Tenderman Core, you're doing that with an application. So instead of a file, it's instead like a database. And in a roundabout way, that's like exploring, you know. Um, explain the idea of a blockchain. But what this enables is um, the, the replication of a random application, any sort of application you can imagine across you know, hundreds of computers around the world uh, through this protocol called ABCI. And one of the first applications of ABCI is in fact Cosmos. 
Okay. So if you imagine Tendermint Core as sort of the base layer that does the networking consensus, Cosmos is the application that's on top. So if, if someone were to understand this, um, when you're running Bitcoin uh, and you have the Bitcoin software and it's connected on the, on the Bitcoin network, uh, you look at that as very limited on scope. You know, it's basically storing, send, it's just debiting and crediting on the ledger system. With, with this, uh, essentially on that, like, and I want to get into like kind of layer well, one and we'll get into it. Uh, with this, it's almost like uh, running a Bitcoin operating system uh, and then having a lot different types of functions, but at the same time, it's all connected to a network in, in real time. Yeah, so it's similar to Bitcoin in that, you know, you have a token and you can send and, you know, receive that token. But because it is, you know, a proof of stake network, it also allows you to use that token to mine for, for more tokens, right? So instead of buying ASICs to mine Bitcoin, you would instead buy the token in, in Cosmos land, it's the atom, to mine for, for more atom and to secure the network. Um, you can think of an atom as like a virtualized uh, ASIC in that, you know, the more you have, the more you earn. So you have this, so you have, so, so the, the, the difference proof of stake model where, where your, your tokens are staking to earn more tokens, you're looking at it from a perspective of like the conversion, when you're mining Bitcoin, the conversion of energy goes from, and this is where like the naysayers would say like proof of stake kind of defies the laws of physics, right? When you're mining Bitcoin, you're, that energy is being transferred from, from uh, electricity or power or whatever it is into what you would earn as Bitcoin. In this situation, you're basically saying, hey, wherever the energy transference comes from, and eventually you can turn that into dollars or whatever currency and then buy Atom, that is that transference of energy that is securing proof of stake networks. That's right. It's a little less direct, you know, than the direct yeah. transfer of energy into Bitcoin. It, it, it makes sense. And that's how I've been personally coming over to the understanding that proof of stake could be a viable model in the future. I think one of the things I personally struggle with is with proof of work, it's, it's fully permissionless because you don't need permission to get land to get access to some electricity, and then you don't need permission to actually mine on the Bitcoin network. You don't need permission to start finding a block. Whereas with some proof of stake protocols, uh, it's it would seem to me it's like permissioned, right? Because if if everyone decides to not sell, then what happens in that in that future? I can explain real quick about that the Cosmos proof of stake protocol and how it works. So you're I right. I asked you know, it on purpose. <laughs> it is less decentralized than, than Bitcoin, right? And how it works in Cosmos Proof of Stake is there are 125 validators. Um, we, I think we're increasing that soon to 150. But essentially, these are, these are teams with large atom balances um, that want to run hardware to secure the network, right? So you can imagine 125 different um, validators around the world, each with their own set of machines. Um, I don't want to break it down into too little detail here, sure. but uh, essentially sure. it's, um, there are in fact more than 125, but we put the cutoff at 125 for performance reasons. And it's just the 125 teams with the most amount of atoms 
staked to them. Um, so what does that mean? That means if you're an atom holder, right, you can choose between a list of more than 125. It's everyone who's ever proposed being a validator and choose, you know, one of them to, to stake on. You know, there are uh, large exchange validators like, like Coinbase, oh, um, Binance so are also validators. But we encourage people to stake to more independent validators, um, ones run by smaller teams, because, you know, the decentralized nature of of how the validators um, have atoms is what secures the network. So, so, so what you're saying is, so in a, in a typical proof of stake uh, blockchain, you're just staking onto the blockchain itself. And if, if all the stakers theoretically say no, then it wouldn't work. But in this situation, these are 125 separate validators that I can personally choose where I want to stake. And therefore you are creating permission arbitrage and permission. Oh, I love it. I love the game theory that goes into some of this stuff. Token economic teams are so much fun. At a very high level, it's sort of like selecting your, yeah. your, your congressperson, right? To represent you in the government. There's 100 so now, so now you people in the US and then there's like 125 validators. So it's really based on you and actually your politics as to which validator to choose. Um, because part of Cosmos proof of stake is also the ability to vote on on-chain governance proposals. So everyone's allowed to vote. It's uh, one vote per one token. So it's, you know, it's not one vote per person, but one vote per token. And depending on who you side on the validator front, um, you're actually delegating your vote to them. Hmm. Uh, so if you want to, to you know, sort of uh, be hands-off. Like delegated proof of stake vote, in a way. Yeah, let people vote for you, then they will vote for you. But you can always you know, change your vote to whatever you want. Let's say, for example, a very contentious proposal comes out that says inflate the number of tokens by 20%. And, uh, and let's say give them to Ethereum holders. You know, for some reason, maybe to get yeah. these people to come over. That would be a very contentious vote. And it would be up to you as an atom holder to decide, you know, does this make sense? Is it going to bring more value to Cosmos? Or is this a bad idea? You know, is it something that we don't want to, you know, to do in the future? So those are, I guess, the, the sort of two things that are different than something like Bitcoin, right? You don't really have a way to vote on chain. You don't really have a way to, yeah. you know, delegate tokens. You've had this mission of of one million blockchains, and so many uh, brand branding and projects that everyone knows about have been launched have been launched on top of it, like Terra, Band, Kava, Secret, just to name a few. Um, Kava Labs is actually a really cool, really cool project as well. Why, like why, why that? Why go towards building an ecosystem with one million blockchains? Is it that as a whole you're better than the sum of the parts? Uh, and then kind of like with IBC, is that to attract blockchains that are outside of the ecosystem to communicate with ones that are inside? Or is it a standard for ones that operate within the ecosystem as a whole? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, we talk about atoms, we talk about Cosmos. Well, that's only one blockchain, right? So at the same time, we're building out this one blockchain. We've um, extracted everything that's valuable and made it freely available as well. So we provide this Cosmos SDK and it's, it's currently the most popular chain framework in the world. And uh, it's similar to Ruby on Rails, right? In that you can take it, you can build a chain and um, the, the framework itself currently secures over 70 billion in digital assets across um, 
200 different blockchains. And uh, actually four out of the top 25 blockchains in the world are built with So, you know, when, when I go into, you know, sort of how popular it is and why we're building this, um, in some ways it's because we believe, you know, the vision of the future to be one where, you know, all of the world's finance can't happen on one chain, right? It's, it's becoming clear already, uh, especially with Ethereum and very high transaction fees that are happening on ETH. You know, you can imagine a world where, you know, despite how valuable Ethereum is, it may be more valuable if you're able to duplicate it and let more people use it than have people pay hundreds of dollars worth of transaction fees. DeFi, 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 you keep hearing me talk about it, and we know at the same time that the stock market is at record highs, but the economy is broken in recession, government debt is off the charts, they're printing trillions of dollars. We need a new financial system, and I've been talking about it, we've all been talking about it, decentralized finance. We know that too, we know that there's like $40 billion in value sitting in all these DeFi protocols, and it's barely a year old it's new decentralized finance and it's brilliant and it works and there's a lot of money to be made in things like yield farming being able to provide liquidity but a lot of them are high risk there's scams and rug pulls that are so common to investors we don't want to repeat what happened a few years ago in the crypto space but what if there was a way to access those DeFi yields in a safe and transparent way. Well, I have the CEO, Tim Frost, of Yield.app, my newest sponsor on the show. Listen to that show and check out Yield.app because here you have this team that is constantly filtering through all these DeFi investments. They're consolidating your gas fees and they're only investing in a select few that generate more than 20%. But their risk is not, they're not just investing in these tokens and waiting for them to do well. They're also providing liquidity. They're doing yield farming. All these low risk, high investment to make the uh, infrastructure more efficient and better. So not only you're investing in making money, but you're also helping to grow this ecosystem. Make sure you check them out at yield.app. That's yield.app. And listen to the untold stories with Tim Frost, the CEO. We have all these coins and tokens and they sit on all these different blockchains and we have to keep multiple wallets and different addresses and everything. And the only way to do it without having to do that is trust a centralized place like an exchange or a broker or an app that you use. Well, what if there was a way to do it without having to trust one different place in the ethos of crypto? Cosmos, my sponsor Cosmos that has been around for so long they're actually following their original roadmap and being able to offer universal wallet, high node synchronization, inter-blockchain communication, bridging Bitcoin and Ethereum together and keeping it all on one wallet, being able to build on top of it and do the coolest things possible. Make sure you check them out at stargate.cosmos.network. You can play with all these different features. It's so cool and it's really bringing the next wave of crypto and adoption. If you really want to be ahead of everyone else and all your friends, make sure you understand the new technology that's coming out. Stargate.cosmos.network. You're going to love it. The biggest problem with DeFi today as we know it is there are simply no aggregators or way to bring all of this information and data together so we can trade off of it. We're going to Uniswap and we're clicking sell, sell, sell or buy, buy, buy. I mean, imagine staying up till two o'clock in the morning just so you can make a trade. The folks at Paraswap, my newest sponsor, are doing exactly that. They are the fastest and most liquid aggregator on the Ethereum blockchain. They've built a state-of-the-art algorithm that aggregates all the major decentralized exchanges in order to beat 
the market price. They are willing to offer you on your first swap a 50% gas refund. Check it out in the show notes. I mean, there's no reason not to use PowerSwap. It's the same thing as using any of these other sites, but you're getting a better price, zero slippage, better swap, safer, faster, more secure. Uh, what's what's the downside? There is none that I could think of. And you're getting your first swap, 50% gas fees paid for. It solves every problem that I could think of. Make sure you check them out. They're my sponsors. I love them. And I love them even more that they're pushing crypto forward. I agree with the ethos of like, if you if you allow them all to talk to each other and allow you to transfer value and information, and that's, that includes all assets and everything. If you can, if you can go simply go from Ethereum to Cosmos to, to really any blockchain that's on that IBC standard, and it's not just about like talking, it's about taking value, like let's just say 10 millions of dollars sitting here and moving it to 10 millions of dollars of value here or $10 million worth of information here and putting it here, it's doing that in a way where you don't need like a centralized clearinghouse or even losing that, you know? It's like you're not losing, uh, the electricians have a word for it, you know, when you have, like, you have a certain amount of voltage here and then you're trying to get it there, you lose. It's like, I forget the word from it, sorry. But yeah, you, redundancy. Yeah, I, I get redundancy. what you mean. Um I guess in, in crypto land, right? What we're you want efficient centralized, markets. We're talking about centralized exchanges, really, right? What Cosmos tries to do, right, is to bridge all blockchains. Um, and it's to allow blockchains to talk directly to each other without involving you to trust your tokens to, you know, a centralized exchange. That's exactly. really the end goal of Cosmos. Um, while blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum aren't able to blockchain, Maybe it's just Bitcoin. Well, but, um, why not? Like, theoretically speaking, what would it take to be able to create some sort of mechanism for... Because well, that's the ultimate yeah, goal. No I one has ever figured out how to how to decentralize bridge Bitcoin. No, no one has figured it out yet. They've tried with atomic swaps. Right. So we are, you know, we are planning to bridge ETH 1.0 and Bitcoin to Cosmos, right? To allow people to get their tokens to put on the hub. And in fact, we think it'll be a really cool innovation because, you know, Bitcoin bridges traditionally, you know, have been very, very centralized. Um, and we think by putting a Bitcoin bridge on a blockchain, the Cosmos have, I think, roughly has 5 billion USD of value secured, right? It might be a more trusted way for, for BTC holders to consider something like this. Um, but what makes IBC... Um, anyway, IBC itself wouldn't work with ETH 1.0 or with Bitcoin, um, but it will work with ETH 2.0. So... And not just ETH 2.0, but a lot of other fast finality blockchains. So, like, the ones... Like uh, BNB, right? Binance Chain's BNB, uh, Polkadot's Dot. Um, in fact, Binance Chain's built on Cosmos. And um, we're right. actively talking to Polkadot to see how they can implement IBC. So sort of any chain that can get you uh, finalized transactions in a block relatively quickly um, is able to use IBC. And then they're able to take tokens from their chain, send it onto any other chain with IBC. Yeah, there are, there are project founders that are watching this right now that would love to get in touch with you to be to be get on that um and and they will they're probably reaching out to me right now asking how they can do that um so so assuming that we're in a world where um ibc is part of the standard now and it's almost like if you're shipping a new blockchain wh wherever you are you are uh that's included 
what were what are some of the things that that would make these blockchains different? Why would someone choose one over the other? Are we talking about like different consensus algorithms or it'll be like based on like what country you're living in? And really like what what type of we're, 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 the NFT world is going crazy right now. The DeFi world is going right now. So we're seeing art. We're seeing credit and capital markets, the ability to borrow against your home. What other like really cool things are you seeing being built right now that, that is exciting you for the future? Yeah, so the ones you mentioned are super exciting to me, of course. But uh, beyond that, um, there are so many cool projects being built right now. Some include like um, chains that focus on providing a DEX. Right. There's a project called Osmosis that's doing that in Cosmos land. And it's not just a DEX, but they provide the idea of automated. Right. So in, you're able to create your own Uniswap style DEX using your own custom algorithm um, on a blockchain. That's Osmosis. Um, there is um, a project called, uh, what is it? Sommelier Chain. And it's a, it's a co-processor for Ethereum. So it's a way for you to um, sort of watch your own um, Ethereum address and um, use it to conduct transactions um, based on you know what you're what you're seeing out of an oracle. So it lets you do more sort of programmatic things with your Ethereum account that would otherwise be extremely expensive to do on Ethereum mainnet because you know transaction costs in Cosmos are in the order of cents. Whereas if you wanted to sort of continuously watch your account in Ethereum, you're going to be paying you know. Thousands or tens of thousands a month just for that. This may be a very stupid question, but if we're looking at blockchains as something that, that we're in real time constantly interacting with, whereas like the Bitcoin blockchain is really the only one that you're not, and I, and I hate when I'm always going back and comparing the two because I'm just I'm trying to think of good examples. Um, won't every blockchain have the same problem as high gas fees? Like, how do you, how do you properly incentivize stakeholders or miners uh, to, you know, in economies of scale for that security, but at the same time, if you're not going to have transaction fees, like, how does it work? What's the game theory? Yeah, so that? you're right, right? As every chain becomes more and more popular, transaction fees will rise, right? And even in Cosmos blockchains, right, the, the sort of cheap transaction fees of one to three to five cents right now. Um, as more people start to use it, you know, grow into 50 cents or grow into $5, $50 potentially down the road. And uh, that's another area where IBC is so important, right? So this is the idea of just sharding any chain that has high transaction fees into two or more chains and syncing them up regularly, right? At regular intervals to um, keep the, the overall ledger up to date. So you have different type of settlement finality, like different layers of it, whereas like, I always wondered why this wasn't. Can we explore this for a second? I always wondered why this was never something that could be done. So you have so like, if, let's just say we look. This is like the best comparison, not the best, but always you look at like a, you look at like um, getting a transaction, or and I use the word transaction to to denote anything. It doesn't need to be money. It could be transferring a painting. It could be information. It could be writing to a blog post. But if you wanted to, you know, theoretically, if you wanted to have you know, a file coin type of system, you'd need to upload constantly data, download it, need to be constant, right? Why couldn't you have a blockchain where data can be, or different types of transactions can be rated by the sender and 
and different types of finality and there's space saved in each block, you know, or whatever for different types of transactions. Because what you could do there is then create a better futures market for it. You can buy space in the future. You can guarantee yourself. Is that something that can be done on a technical level? It's cool to conceptualize. That can definitely be done on a technical level. Um, where, you know, in the in the works of, ex- I believe something like this is, you know, being explored in the Ethereum ecosystem can obviously happen in, in Cosmos as well. And um, it's a system by which you're able to, let's say, buy and sell the, the future returns of a staking token, right? Yeah. So I guess in Bitcoin land, that would be like buying the buying the, the mining output of you know a particular set of machines. And uh, or lending that out right to somebody in return for something more immediate. So these are things definitely possible to be done in Cosmos. I'm uh, surprised. You, you might... Sorry, no, no, no. You go. go ahead. Right. So what I was going to say was uh, the idea of, of sharding chains when you know transaction fees become very high is core to the idea of Cosmos. Um, but at the same time, right, you need this sort of you need this sort of settlement layer. And um, that's where this this thing we've been focusing our efforts on um, is meant to do. It's meant to be the settlement layer for for many chains. Um, this chain is called the Cosmos Hub, and and sort of these activities are secured by the Atom. And um, I mentioned earlier that uh, IBC right is launching today on the Hub, and so one of the very first features we're putting onto the Hub um, in the coming coming months is the the very first interchain, right? So it's a way for people to send tokens. The very first interchain transfer is that what you said? It's a interchain token exchange. Okay. So it's a, sort of a lot to unpack, but essentially it allows people to to create new chains or use a chain that they already have that has IBC enabled and send those tokens to the Cosmos Hub to create liquidity pools to allow people to trade, you know, one token for the other. Wow. And which blockchains were part of this? So a lot of blockchains will be part of it. Like I mentioned before, there's more than 200 different mainnets right now that can be a part of it. And many of them are, are putting a lot of priority on upgrading their chain to support IBC right now. Uh, the first two that will connect to the hub and allow for this sort of transfer is uh, the first one's IrisNet. So this is Iris Network. This is our, our, our sister hub out of China. We worked very closely with them, um, I think since 2015, 2016, to help them launch a hub for the Chinese community. And that'll be the first chain that connects to Cosmos. And uh, I think in a week or so, you're going to wow. see the very first uh, interchain token exchange uh, between the two chains. Uh, the exchange itself is not live, but in fact, what you're going to be able to see is see people sent from the hub to Iris and sent from Iris to the hub. Let me ask you a question. Can block producers or like that's a that's a term for anyone who's involved in, you know, validating blocks, mm-hmm. can they differentiate between transactions that are like intra blockchain versus one that are inter blockchain? Can they differentiate between the two? Yeah, yeah. So so they are very different. Um okay. transactions that happen just on a single blockchain are broadcasted you know, directly to the block producers and they include them in a block, et cetera. If they are, in fact, a transaction going to another chain, 
So what happens is the transaction still gets included in a block, but then what's required is a relayer. So it's like a, a machine in between two different chains that you know takes this transaction from one chain, wraps it up, and sends it to the other chain. That's brilliant. And so wait. So essentially, it, it, it looks like it's the same type of transaction, but then in the middle is this uh, relayer, uh, and I'm trying to unpack this in, a, in, in the most simplest of ways possible, that essentially like takes, let's just say you're transferring a token, will take that token on the, let's just say it's from the Cosmos blockchain, it'll like lock it, and it'll create a wrapped version of that on another, on the other blockchain type of situation. Wait. Let me explain a little bit better. Okay. So what happens is when you send tokens from the Cosmos Hub to IrisNet, what first happens is you create the transaction, it gets included in a block, and the validators all decide to agree to lock your tokens on the Cosmos Hub. right? And what is given to the, the relayer, like the messenger, is a statement that, hey, these tokens are locked on the hub. You can now issue them on IrisNet. And so the messenger carries this message and, and walks over to IrisNet and then gives them the envelope. And then IrisNet's validators see that, hey, you know, some tokens have been locked on the Cosmos Hub. Please unlock the same amount on IrisNet. So that's technically what happens. What are the attack vectors here? And how, how does it, do you lose latency? That's the word I was thinking of, latency, right? Is that, do you lose, or maybe that's not the right word. Let's look up the definition. I think it is. It is. Um, yeah, I think one of the, one of the more obvious attack vectors is just if, you create an interchain transaction, right? And then your tokens are locked on the Cosmos Hub. That message is given to a relayer, and the relayer starts walking over, and then he gets like killed in the middle of delivering the message to IrisNet, right? And if that happens, then you're out of your tokens. Your tokens are locked. You get nothing on IrisNet, then what? Right. So the, there are mechanics in place to just return you the tokens back again if the relayer um, ends up getting interrupted. Is this similar to how like the Lightning Network would would work? Um, to be honest, I'm not very familiar with the Lightning Network. Can you give a quick explanation? Yeah, so, well, like the, on, on Bitcoin, um, as, far, as far as I understand, something like this, where you're creating uh, these payment channels, so in a way it's like two relays that are communicating with each other directly, but we don't need to go uh, specifically into that because what ends up happening is we get, we get very, very, very lost in the weeds. So I want to I wanna ask you, like, Looking back on when you got into Bitcoin, when you first learned about Bitcoin in 2011, and then you got into it around 2013, and then this was all conceptualized and you got involved a few years ago. Uh, are you happy with where we are now as a, as a community and as an ecosystem? Are you think we are uh, growing faster? Are we growing too slow? Are you looking back now and saying like, you know, my goal of 1 million blockchains, are you uh, getting to that point? Yeah, so if you're referring to the greater crypto community, I think, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see where we are. I think that, you know, crypto as a whole has found product market fit and now it's all about scaling, right? Scaling, I love that. educating young people about, you know, the benefits of crypto, teaching them about what, what is possible, you know, getting more developers, designers, and architects in the space. Um, we have a big need for people who can write well, marketers in, in particular. Um, I think a lot of people are still very much intimidated by crypto because it is, you know, very technical. And uh, I'm sorry and if it's I it's getting more things. technical. No, it is. And it's getting more complicated. Like, 
like like uh just just doing the research for this for this show uh requires a very special like and very smart people like the people that work for for the show and 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 do it to help the research all these different blockchains and those who work for you it's like the you have to like be able to read uh and understand things very very quickly and and so when i'm reading my own research about like the ibc protocol as i was last night and i'm having to read it four or five times over to finally understand i'm like wow i've been in this space almost a decade that tells me that we have a long ways to go before we really mainstream and that excites me because that's when you can make money that's when you have fun when this market is fully matured and it's all grown up then you know, they're, all the adults will be doing all the all the good, all the fun stuff, and we won't be able to keep throwing stuff at walls to see what sticks. Yeah. Thank you. I come from a, a design background myself, and um, I care a lot about user adoption and mainstream adoption. It's like the the first sort of very first thing I had in my bio back when I joined in 2015 was, you know, I hope to make blockchain technology, you know, a mundane technology that everyone uses without, you know, being surprised or shocked by it or even know they're using it. To be honest. And, you know, five, six years later, we're getting closer to that step. But we have a long when, ways to go. When we tell people that, when I tell people that, I just told, told someone that the other day, they, it's still thought of as like from the token perspective. And I try to explain like, no, because everything that you do, like if you just, if, from the minute you wake up until this moment, you've interacted with centralized systems five times, right? So imagine if... If everything that you did today was done, was, sorry, someone was calling me. Um, everything that we're doing today from, from going to the grocery store and purchasing uh, goods to the services, to reading our email, to even, you know, I wake up in the morning and I look at the bag of coffee beans and I kind of laugh because like, I don't, I look at my coffee beans and I'm pretty sure that most of the coffee I'm buying is because like we can't control this. There's there's slave labor somewhere in there. There's child labor somewhere involved in there. Like I hate to admit it and it sucks, but like I feel bad drinking coffee knowing that like there's a good chance some bean somewhere along the way. It would be amazing to be able to like trust the supply of some of this stuff without having to trust a single source of information and following and create corruptibility. Like it's a beautiful thing. Exactly. I resonate with that so much. You know, that's where the idea of one million blockchains come from, right? You know, clearly you're not going to be storing the, the history of your of your bag of coffee beans on Ethereum. It's just way too expensive for that. But if there was like a you know, a blockchain dedicated to coffee beans of one particular company, right? That's that's much more sustainable and it makes a lot of sense. And to be able to transfer, you know, ownership of let's say an NFT of, of a bag of coffee beans across the internet of blockchains of cosmos that's that's what we're here for one coffee beans i love that that's the title that's it's just that's beautiful like, because that like people use on... excel every day people use you know airtable airtable's incredible right it's one of the coolest applications that i've used recently that allows you know common people to interact with the database and to to put on What's Airtable? I've never even heard of this. I'm on it now. Oh, it's like a more usable version of Excel that allows you to define types for every field. Like instead of just like typing in someone's name, you could enter in like a, a person. Oh, this is so instead. cool. So I think it's now, really cool. And I think that blockchain can get there. Brilliant. Right. So now, imagine interacting with a blockchain through through a spreadsheet database 
where you can insert data, export data, and it comes with an open API to allow you to manipulate that data. Um, oh, I wish. I when wish every single blockchain is as easy to interact with as you know, like a spreadsheet, um, I think you'll see a lot more adoption and a lot more transparency, a lot more accountability, and uh, a lot more value that can be you know, sort of programmatically manipulated instead of being like an email attachment. Mm. Right. That's that's what we're fighting against. <laughs> we're fighting against manual labor and we're trying to be yeah. able to automate as still, much as possible. There's still a lot of time and energy that that needs to go into that because you're always gonna run into like that latency. Like for example, uh you know, be we have the technology right now to verify and to securitize buildings or properties or homes. The technology is there to be able to offer home equity lines of credit instantly to people, mortgages instantly. But the reason it's not done yet is because the process of legally securitizing and quick deeds and mortgage satisfactions and notarizations and all this crap is slow. And it's going to take a very long time because you've got to build each individual piece. So that's why I tell people like we have a long ways to go. We haven't even, in my view, we haven't, we're like just in like in the middle of chapter two. Like we're just in the middle of that chapter. We're like maybe closing that door of chapter two and eventually who knows. So we're still like very, very early on. But thank you so much. For, I know you're very busy today. Thank you for going live today. I really appreciate the listeners and the viewers are, they're eating this up. This is so much knowledge that you dropped on us today. I learned so much and I know they did too. Thank you so much. And I hope to, to see you again soon. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's great talking to you.